This week on Living the Call, Deacon Charlie sits down with Bucci Akpati, a former cloistered Carmelite nun, writer, speaker, singer, sacred artist, and photographer. She holds a bachelor's degree in biology and pre-med from George Mason University and works as a digital media manager for EWTN News. In this episode, they discuss her time as a cloistered Carmelite nun as heaven on earth, yet why she discerned out of religious life. She shares how her work today highlights authentic witnesses who tell stories of lived experiences that draw people to the Lord. Finding people who have faced those struggles, who have gone through those adversities, who have navigated them with God's grace and how they did that, where they are now, telling those stories, I think, I believe authentic stories of those who have gone through those struggles is much more powerful. Those stories are more powerful than teaching. Like people love witnesses, they don't really like teachers. This is Living the Call. Bucci Akpati, welcome to the show. And Charlie, it's great to be with you. It's so great to see you. You know, you're likewise. You're, I've been very much looking forward to this. I know I say that, and you know, some part, some aspect of that is the niceties of uh, being polite with people. Yes. And it is, it, it is true in most respects that I'm excited about the show, but I'm very excited about talking to you, my friend. Uh, I've, been looking, mutual. I've been looking forward to this. Um, you are, and I've noticed this also recently with some of the guests that I've had, that I've had a variety of multi-hyphenates, which is in the entertainment industry, what you call people that have a lot of talents and interests. And um, as I was, you know, you and I recently met, but as I was doing my research on you, I found that you also fall distinctly and squarely into that category. Um, obviously, child of God, but storyteller, writer, speaker, photographer, digital media producer, fashionista in some respects, with, of course, a biology and pre-medicine, you know, undergrad, which makes no sense whatsoever, given the things I that agree. I mentioned, and, uh, and a former um, religious uh, Carmelite, a discalced Carmelite, and... Uh, you know, Nigerian woman and strong and confident. And you just got so many different things going on. And I just, uh, I'm really excited to talk to you. And um, anyway, it's your show. But, um, you know, do, do you ever hear people ask you like about all these varied interests and go, how did all that begin? They do. And they often ask me about it with a feeling of being overwhelmed mm. or confused as to how do they all connect? For instance, how did one who was going to be an orthopedic surgeon then change paths to then pursue a career in marketing and now digital media. So it often confuses people and it takes some time to explain it to them, but not yeah. with a goal to convince them that it all connects because in God's divine plan, everything makes sense at the end of the day. It, it may does. not make sense as you are living the journey and wondering why the course changes directions, but God knows. And I believe it's really essential to just stay the course, trust him, and be little while at it. Mm, I love that. That's a really good point, too, about, um, you know, things oftentimes not making sense as we're living them. I've, I've shared this before on the show, but I, I take a, a very significant object lesson from the life of uh, St. Padre Pio, who used to, mm. the stories told that he was, you know, he would sit at his grandmother's ankles while she sewed, and that he, little boy, he would look up and see all the threads and the needle popping in and out of the, you know, out of the patchwork. And yes. none of it made any sense. But when he stood up and looked at it from a different perspective, he saw that it was becoming this beautiful work of art. And mm. he used that as a way to analogize the way that God's work is, right? So like from our standpoint, as we're the little kid looking up, 
a lot of these jumbles and threads, like some of the things that I've mentioned about your life that we may not be able to see in the moment, become more clear as we kind of go through our, our spiritual walk. And I, I always thought that was really a pretty way to explain it. To your, to, to your mind, have you, have you seen some of the connection in those things and kind of how the gifts in one area might lead to, you know, other sort of fruit in other areas? I mean, how have you made sense of, of this background? Definitely. I mean, just from the very beginning of my life, career-wise or formal education-wise, studying biology, pre-medicine, and wanting to be a physician because I believe that the most transformative or edifying work could mm. be to take someone from who is wheeled into the ER or operating room who was near death and then walking out rejuvenated and healed. And I thought that's the only way to heal. And so mm. I, wanted to go in, I wanted to go into medicine to be a healer and to be able to spend time with patients at their bedside. And after I'd no longer pursued medicine, I actually was in nursing school for a little bit. And I did an, a second degree, accelerated a bachelor's in nursing because I realized the physicians that I had shadowed in the, in the hospital or operating room didn't get as much bedside time with the patients, but the nurses did. And I'm like, wow, the nurses, that's a really noble profession. And so mm. I wanted to be a nurse to get more quality time with patients. And after that career pursuit, I then got into marketing from the hospital that I was going to serve as a physician at. They needed their first website created <laughs> and photographs taking of their surgeons. Now, on the side of preparing for med school, I loved photography. I loved beauty. And so I essentially, through the help of the Holy Spirit and his spouse, Our Lady, I began to just shoot just take a borrow my brother's camera and shoot pictures. So essentially in that hospital, I then, uh, my marketing career found me where I thought medicine was where I was called. So the goal of being a healer additionally added on to wanting to be creative. That then led me into a, into a career in marketing and mm. having the personal touch of empathizing with one's sorrows or needs as a nurse I definitely see that played out in my work now in digital media because photography and I was a makeup artist for brides and on movie sets and special effects and billboards and music videos. And so having an eye for beauty, capturing it mm. in a still image or motion picture for a video with the empathy and the people skills that medicine or nursing or anything with customer service pertains to directly fuels my ability to then go into digital media and to God willing excel at that endeavor. So, and I've had several other gigs in between. I was a talent manager. I've, I've done several, I've tried several things just so that I could go where God led me and be little to learn from others who are more experienced in it. And uh, just to be faithful wherever God calls me and not to question how things connect at first, because at the end of the day, mm. no experience is ever wasted. And my life is a testimony of that, for sure. Amen. I love the points of connection, too. And that's oftentimes the case that we can't see these connections until we're sort of past them, right? And we're looking in the rearview mirror. Yes. There's, a, there's a couple things that I want to kind of unpack that you just said that I think are really interesting. The first is you've mentioned twice already this idea of being little. And I want to unpack that. But first, let's start with the aspect of healing, right? Because first of all, it's a really interesting insight that even at that time as you were going through this formation in medicine, that you recognized that what was really called, the thing you wanted was this quality time with the patients. Yes. Which is my I, love language as well. Which 
I love. Let's so let's let's unpack that a little bit because it, l- let's think about medicine for just a second. Obviously, that is a very noble profession, ancient. Uh, you know, every civilization, etc. In our country today, in the U.S. today, it's become very commoditized, very commercialized, very transactional, um, and you know, wrapped up in that is uh, you know a high degree of of potential for material wealth, etc. So it's yeah. this kind of confluence of a lot of things that can lead people astray. But at the heart of it is uh, rejuvenation, revitalization, healing, et cetera. And, and, you know, my argument would be every doctor, every physician should feel that way. But the idea of seeing a nurse and recognizing that that aspect was more prominent in them and desiring that is very interesting to me. But my question is, why do you think, were, first of all, were you conscious at the time that your desire to want to spend more quality time with the patients in a way was perhaps unusual in terms of the current track that you were on to be the sort of orthopedic surgeon, et cetera. Did like, did you capture the fact that it was a little different or did you think it was all wrapped up in one thing and you were just sort of interested in this facet of medicine? I would say initially I definitely did not seek to be a healer. I am mm. Nigerian by origin, as you know. And so in Nigerian culture, the most notable or noteworthy career is, you know, threefold. You have three options. You can be a doctor, an engineer or a lawyer. And so I'm like, all right, one, two, three, let's do one. And I knew that surgeons were just higher ranking in my narrow-minded way of thinking. So that was my initial driving force was make family proud, do what's the highest, most challenging, longest length of education required, and also debt that that incurs at the end. And make family proud and just be great at it. Like Nigerians are great. That's just be excellent. So being a healer wasn't wasn't the driving force. It was after pursuit after attempting nursing school for a semester of the accelerated second degree that I went through a series of life events that wounded me. Mm. And through through going through the process of healing with you know professional help and prayer and so on and so forth. As I then discerned religious life after a series of work events that led me there through God's providence. So that gave me time as a cloistered nun, 23 hours of silence to really reflect on my life thus far Mm. and look at what God's hand was ordaining. What, what, what God actually intended, where Bucci's narrow-mindedness only thought six to seven-figure salary, excellence, make family proud, just very limited. I saw within my times of contemplation in the cloister on God and just on my life and my imperfections and how much reparation, not just for the world, but for myself is necessary. Mm. I then saw that inner, inner desire to be a healer, inner desire to to heal while being a wounded healer. Yeah. Sum it all up. Well, I was going to say the wound is almost necessary in, in order to understand the impact of the healing. Yes. Mm. That's very true. Very true. And I believe wounded healers are the most healing healers because you cannot help someone to go come out of something you have not intimately experienced. Mm. Whether or not you have come out of it all the way, doesn't matter. Just as long as you felt it, you've been there, you know it. So when someone is in a dark place, that darkness is, has been 
your 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 environment yeah. before. So. I know people listening might um, you know want us to go back to this chasm that you that is naturally exists from saying you were in nursing school and next you're a cloistered nun because there's a lot I think in between that that people might be curious about. Um, and so maybe you can talk about that, um, that discernment, but to give, you know, just a little bit of context in the American culture, in the American context, the idea of religious life is, is really unusual, sadly, and it's becoming more and more unusual. You see this with the reactions that happen in, you know, big metropolitan areas, whenever you see maybe a Eucharistic procession or even a religious walking on the sidewalk. I love going to New York in particular, um, to see that kind of dynamic unfold where people are like, what is going on here? Um, but in, from an African perspective, from a Nigerian perspective, maybe specifically, how natural, unusual, what kind of responses does one get today in, in today's kind of modern world when they hear, oh, Bucci's is discerning the religious life? Like, how does that work both in your family, but also just culturally in general? Yes. Deacon Charlie, would you like the honest response? Of course, always. I'll use the Nigerian accent that my aunts and uncles on both, especially my father's side of the family used till this day after I've departed. Why is Buchi wasting her life? Mm. Why is such a talented, beautiful, single young woman locking herself up in a prison, not using all her talents to just hide away from being married and being happy? And why did her mother and father allow her to do this nonsense? Get her out of there. My niece deserves to live a worthwhile life. This is a waste of her life. I cannot mm. imagine she's going to prison for nothing. Wow. Deacon Charlie, that was, that was a response, which was coupled with much more anger, frustration, confusion, and uh, literally uh, an operation, spiritual as well, to get me out of religious, to not even let me enter. And after entering, I got messages and letters from immediate family stating that extended family members were praying for me to not persevere in my vocation. Yikes. Yes. So that was the, that was the initial response. So that's the extended family, immediate family. I would say the, the response was met with, was one of sadness, disappointment, and grief at the fact that when my parents pass, I will not be physically at their bedside Mm. or at their funeral physically. And similarly for my 10 nieces and nephews of my four older siblings that I will not be there for their confirmation, birthdays, mm. weddings. So the, and, and I'm, my, my parents have been married for almost 50 years. My father's 90 years old. My mother's seven years old. I was my dad's secretary, his driver to his doctor's appointments, his confidant in a certain way. And so it was really hard. I bet. Really hard for them to just understand. It's one thing to discern to be a sister, an active sister that they can visit, they can hug, they can see and touch. Whose ministry is active, like teaching or nursing or even homeless ministry, something that's understandable by the general public. So to answer your question, it was very challenging, especially on my father's side of the family that is fueled or only acknowledge success, only acknowledge another PhD attained, a higher job position promoted to, another house, another property acquired. I want you to talk more about that Nigerian cultural piece of excellence, but 
just to clarify, Bucci, we have a lot of folks who listen to the show who aren't on their walk, right? And in fact, a number of folks who are not Catholic and close the loop there on the distinction between, you know, being a cloistered religious, which is what you were getting at, that yes. when you decide to be, you know, in the convent in that way, you're effectively to the outside world, removing yourself from all the, the sort of daily activities people might, even your family might come to understand, right? Explain that difference a little bit. Totally. I'd be happy to. So when one discerns to join a religious community, there are different options or even a vocation. So that one can be a priest as is more familiar or a friar or, you know, deacon. There are different states to serve God and, and be his light and his hands and hands in service and his feet in, in action and his heart in love. And so one of those options is if one is called by God to be a religious sister. And so there are about three, generally three levels, so to speak, or options, branches. One of those branches in religious life for women is to be an active sister, active community. So one can familiarly think of Mother Teresa or St. Teresa of Calcutta, whose who's religious community, the missionaries of charity all over the world, serving the homeless, the poorest of the poor, and just being present with them and helping them materially. Now that's one, so that's active. Now there are active contemplative communities of religious sisters who have the element of going out, working with the world, whether it's in a school or a hospital or in another aspect of ministry and has a contemplative aspect of their way of life, which means that they spend perhaps two to three hours in prayer as a community together every day. And so that contemplative prayer punctuates their active or their visible external ministry. Mm. So that's active contemplative. Now, the third is cloistered or fully contemplative. Now, a cloistered community has as their work prayer only and work within the cloister. And so a cloister is essentially enclosed. The walls of the community, we have walls that are 11 feet high. So the world doesn't see the work of cloistered nuns, but is intimately impacted and, and benefits from the work of cloistered nuns. So those who are those who are active sisters, even priests, every single soul on earth who has ever lived or ever will live, benefits from the hidden work of cloistered nuns. So we prayed seven times a day in community. We lived in silence. So we would pray together audibly, of course. We would chant, we would sing uh, and pray in Latin. Our prayers, the divine office, we would have the mass every day together. We would have our meals in common, but usually in silence. And the characteristic uh, aspect of my community, which is the Discalced Carmelite Order, is that we would work in solitude. Mm. And the Discalced Carmelite Order was uh, founded slash reformed by St. Teresa of Avila in Spain in the 16th century. And so the, the, we, we call cloistered nuns, or especially Carmelite nuns, who are known for their, their spirit or charism is that of contemplation, contemplating God. And we are known as being the heartbeat of the church because how can deacons assist the priest and the church and the faithful? How can priests baptize and anoint and hear confessions and offer mass and, 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 and make marriages valid? And how can the missionaries go and evangelize if there is not the heartbeat praying for them and for those that they encounter? And so while the vocation that God called me to for that time, for two years, was hidden it was so essential 
so essential. And that gave me joy that even though I may, I, if God willed, I may not be physically holding my father's hand or stroking my mother's hair as he, as they're both drawing their last breath. There was something that gave me great hope, Deacon Charlie, and that was that the foundress of the Discalced Carmelite Order, St. Teresa of Avila, had a vision of our Lord during her time of prayer in which he promised St. Teresa of Avila that for every Carmelite nun who is faithful to the rule of the order and is faithful to the constitutions, that at the moment of death of her family members, he himself, our Lord, promises that he himself will be there to welcome them home. Mm. And that soothed me so much when I went through my pre-grieving before entering the monastery that my family will be okay because they are Christ's. And I'm following him to go into the monastery. The reason I went and followed God's call was love of souls, Mm. zeal for souls, Mm. not hiding from the world or being antisocial or not wanting to be married. It was possibly being the bride of Christ. And, and that's and that, that, that's one of the things, Bucci, that I think people, right. well, for, for sure. And that's one of the things, Bucci, that I think people misunderstand is that this is, you know, at its heart, the contemplative life is one of, it's, a, it's, a, it's active in the sense that you are seeking, you're looking to seek and save and, and help and nurture and feed and be the heartbeat of souls rather than a passive thing about receding, hiding, um, you know, obscuring yourself from the world. There's this, there's this natural tendency when we think of people who are going to, you know, live in that state of life that yes. you couldn't handle it or you want to, you know, go, it's, it's sort of like a, uh, a version of the Benedict option that you know, it got too tough out there. So you want to recede from it. And this is an right. easy way to do it, but it's exactly the opposite. Right. It's exactly the opposite. It's like, it's as active as going out and saying you want to build a bridge or, or build a house or, uh, you know, start a hospital or, or teach at a school. It is exactly that. But with the aim being this sort of supernatural layer of reality that is, you know, from my view, reality itself. Yes. Um, and, and it's a very difficult leap for a lot of people you know, to make, but I've said, you, you called it the heartbeat of the church. And that's naturally what occurs to me is that the contemplative life is the very heart that pumps the blood out to the members, the hands and feet that do Christ's work in the world. I mean, you need the interior part of the body, right? To support the exterior. St. Paul doesn't talk about capillaries and arteries and hearts. He talks about hands and feet and, you know, eyes and ears and all of that. But yes. it's understood that the body is both internal and external. And if you don't have the inside, what do you have on the outside but a shell? Absolutely right. And if the heart's not beating, the body is dead. Amen. Fully dead. Yeah, exactly. No matter, no matter how strong the arms or the no hands are. can fix that. It's very true. Now, you, you told me once when we first, I think initially when we met that, that your time, uh, you know, in the monastery was heaven on earth. I remember you described it to me that way. Yes. And it struck me because, you know, you, you ultimately, as you know, uh, people who've heard your description of what you're doing can understand now, you discerned out of that, um, uh, that life. But it, normally those stories don't begin with, it was heaven on earth. They begin with, I discerned out, you know, I realized that had these doubts, et cetera, et cetera. But for you, it was, it was striking that you said it that way. Tell me more about that. What, what, how, how, did, how does one 
discern leaving heaven on earth. Correct. That, that's, it almost sounds like, why would you want to leave heaven on earth? I, I described life in, the, in Carmel, as we fondly call it. Yes. Life in Carmel was heaven on earth because the very nature of the life is heaven. And, and the reason is because heaven is, you know, of course, where, you know, heaven and the angels and the saints and the Trinity and Our Lady and dwell. So spending your days conversing with our Lord, and like lift, like prayer is lifting your heart and soul to God, whom you know, whom you know is deeply in love with you. So spending my days beholding God's presence, mm. receiving the prayer intentions of countless souls who I will might not meet on this side of heaven, but at the at the end of my life, I'll be delighted to reunite with. And that's you who I prayed for and you prayed for me. So beholding God's face day and night, as Psalm 27, you know, dwelling in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and being able to direct all of the prayer intentions we were requested to pray for to God because we were living for him and contemplating just him. It's one thing to have a ministry in which you talk about God, like I was, you know, speaking. It's one thing to talk about God. It's one thing to, it's a whole nother thing to speak with him Mm. and to unite with his will, to live your days for him, to sacrifice family, property, lands, work, success, worldly success for him. So it was heaven on earth for that very reason, because I was in his house, beholding his face, his holy face, and offering the prayer petitions for all of humanity to his heart. Mm. And, and, and why leave that? It was because as my discernment to go in was because of God's promptings and him calling me to that life, which initially was very scary, I must add, the austere lifestyle of you know, the fasting and the, the, just the, 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 the austerity of the life of a Carmelite initially scared me. And I, did, I kept resisting reaching out or, or contacting them. I tried active communities and active contemplative communities, all of which never gave me peace. Mm. So why leave heaven on earth? It's because while still discerning, the time of discerning before taking final vows, in at least a Carmela in a monastery like mine, it takes about nine years because it's it's a major decision. It's one that the you're you're discerning the community, and similarly the community members are discerning if you're the right you're a right fit yeah. with the the charism with the yeah. the the life the schedule the the austerities the rule the etiquette many things. And so as hand in hand with our Lord and my spiritual director, I discerned. How, you know, if this would be God's continued will, I then discerned within that context that our Lord willed for me to garner all of the graces, all of the learnings that he has blessed me with, and to channel it, to, to take heaven on earth that I have, I have encountered and to bring heaven to earth mm. while still serving him and, and gazing on him and, but, and while working for an entity that is truth filled and that will help to save souls. It reminds so, me, in a, it reminds me in a way of uh, St. Therese of Lisieux, um, you know, words about wanting to spend heaven doing good on earth. 
in a way it's sort of transmitting those things that you've picked up in this life and bringing them into a, you know, a, a broader context for the glory of God. Do you think that part of that is about fortifying or even inspiring the listening to a vocation to the religious life among women or men? Do you think part of what your mission is, is just by being an example of someone who's lived that life to have other people look at you and go, wow, I never even thought about that. But now that I do, it feels like very attractive and something I might want to consider. Is that part of it? I think so. I think so. Again, recalling my statement of how no experience is wasted. So not only did God's graces and learnings go unwasted, but also the desire in my heart as well to journey with others who might be afraid, who might have gone in and departed as well, or who might have just never tried, never gave it a thought. I believe Mm. that that might be an additional mission is to not only bring heaven to earth, but to encourage those on earth to go to heaven where I, where I was. Well, there's great wisdom in this. And now I'm starting to see the threads connecting even a little bit tighter, Bucci, about your life. So there's a great wisdom in this. If you really think about it, let's go back a thousand years to when religious orders were as common as, you know, uh, the corner store. You saw religious everywhere. People were educated by religious. It was a very in-your-face, visible thing culturally. Today, that is the opposite, right? That A lot of people go their entire lives with ever coming in contact with a religious brother or sister. They might not even, they might not be educated even as to what a religious brother or sister is. In that context, in that world, if the Holy Spirit wants to have us cooperate with him to convey this opportunity out to the world, when it's not part of the culture, how else could you do it besides having someone have that lived experience and then go out into the world to transmit and share it? So to me, it makes a lot of wisdom. It's even wiser when you think about having that person then be someone involved in the media so that they have the avenues to convey some of that story. So see, I'm starting to see some of the linkage here, Bucci. Your wisdom. You're making me smarter. (laughs) You're you're even assisting me. That's the first lie you've told. That's the first lie you've told on this show. There's no wisdom. Your wisdom has no end on this day of the week that we are recording this. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) In this minute. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Nanosecond. That's right. that's That's a great connection. And, and as I go each day, asking our Lord, Lord, what do you will from me today? Like for instance, last week I went on my first vacation in my 15 year career. What? And yes. There's no way that, come on. First vacation in 15 years. Vacation ever. I do not, I remember my, the the tradition, excellence, degrees. Yes. Yes. Faithful, go extra mile. I never saw that modeled in a rightly ordered way in my Mm. family of origin to be very, to be charitably, and very honest. Mm. And so I never, my idea of faithfulness in work is be present, finish what you started, take initiative, be joyful, like from the heart, not just like a plastic smile, but find your joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength Mm. and just be present, just do it (laughs) and, and, and don't complain. So last week I took four days off. And, and so in line with just following, being on mission and following where God wants me. Third day of my, I had, a, I had a plan for my vacation, which third day in of attempting that plan, which fell through, 
I then asked our Lord, as I shared a few moments, Lord, what do you will? For? What do you want this vacation to look like? Because every attempt to go to where there's water, it fails. It just rains. I'm driving two hours and midway it rains. The next day I try, it rains. Third day I try, it rains. Lord, what do you want? And then he directed me because I finally learned to belittle and ask him mm. and then follow him. Did Story he want, of my life. Did he want you to go out in the rain, perhaps? That's, or dance in it. That's, that's or dance very, in it. Or dance in it. Well, mm. within my car I did. Mm. And I refused to, like Santa Teresa of Avila would say, have a determined determination. I mm. was determined to not be frustrated with my limited, very limited plans for my vacation to, to, be, to feel frustration or impatience with myself mm. at not looking at the weather channel before departing. I did yeah. not. I failed. <laughs> I did not look at the weather. So. <clears throat> to be in the moment. To be in the moment, yes. Yeah. Where'd you go? I then ended up in Ohio. Mm. I reached out to a friend who just gave birth to her seventh born. And I said, remember when I said I would come visit you? She said, yes. I said, how's this week? She says, oh, this is perfect. We have a room for you. Come on down. And so I drove first to another friend's house in Cleveland, another friend's house in Dayton, Ohio, then to Steubenville, Ohio, and then to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, to sing at mass and also visit other friends there. I knew you were, I knew you were a good singer. I like, I was going to ask you, do you, are you a good singer too? In addition to all these other things you're into. By God's grace, I am. I, if, I bet. If it's just Bucci singing, it's horrible. If it's Bucci and the Holy Spirit and his spouse, the Virgin Mary, sublime. Then it's, it's sublime. Yes. I, I love road trips. I think um, it, ro road trips are a, a very interesting, you know, uh, method of travel. Um, yes. because they open you up to a lot of very small, speaking of the little, very small, but memorable things, or at least they can. If we think about, you know, your typical vacation, at least as it's understood, you get onto an airplane, you fly somewhere that's exotic or that is completely different from where you've been. You have some kind of resort setting where, um, things are brought to you and you lay about and do very little, right? That's, that's sort of the, the disordered understanding of vacation, but a road trip has all the potential to be exactly the opposite, right? Things that go wrong, um, detours, wrong turns. But Holy Spirit, I'm convinced, loves that kind of stuff because that's how we can come in contact, you know, not just with the rest of our brothers and sisters, but with, you know, the whole of creation in a very different way. And so I've always really liked road trips as a, as a way to like sample these little things. I mean, especially for you, you know, traveling in Ohio and the Midwest, going through these little towns and I'm sure there's a lot there that you picked up. Absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm like you, I love road trips, especially when there's no traffic mm. and it's just sunny and it's just, I could just cruise control my way and punctuate the trip with a little podcast here, a prayer here, long distance conversation here, silence here, just mm. air, just air weaving through my hair. It's just, I get to have a scent, like different episodes within the road trip. Yeah. So it's never boring. It's never just, oh, this is just a 118 mile stretch that I have to drive. And it's just a flat road. It's mm. like, no, this flat road equals one podcast, one set of a prayer, rosary, one conversation, really quality conversation, one contemplation time on the next article I want to write. And it's just so much, there's so much depth to it. So 
I just read your piece on, um, I think it was NCR, uh, National Catholic Register, for those who don't know what NCR is. I just read your piece that you wrote about uh, Bishop Barron, the bishop Ah. of uh, Winona Ryder in Minnesota, uh, and some thoughts that he had about um, the dilution of of faith teaching and that the sort of recovery of of you know the, the the boldness and the intellect and the depth of the of the Christian tradition, and that we shouldn't be afraid of that and and that kind of thing. On these road trips, Bucci, when you're hearing stories, stories coming in, podcasts, audio, that kind of thing, are you also thinking stories going out? Because I know that you are a storyteller, you're a media person. Yes. Like, is that the way? Like, do you does your does your creativity work that way? You kind of like have input, but then there's also a kind of an output piece that goes with it? Absolutely. Absolutely. As I'm absorbing new information, whether it's audibly or visually, I'm, I'm trying to look at it and almost like it, say if it's a mug that's in front of me. So I like turn it, you know, tilt it 45 degrees and I flip it upside down and then I rotate it and I look at it from a different angle. Mm. So that's what I do when I'm reading or watching something as it's playing out to, to examine it in many forms. And then after it finishes, I then just have silence Mm. to really digest what I have just 3D, three-dimensionally examined and to see, to extract more juice from it. Mm. Like what else maybe did the writer or speaker not get time to say, but possibly was saying, and how does that connect to the needs of people? Yeah. Or maybe um, how to, or maybe how to shape that idea or that concept for yes. a, perhaps a different audience. A different are, audience, yes. What are what are some of the stories or the narrative threads or the ideas that you think we need to tell more of in the culture? What do, what, believe, what are some of those things? Topics that are re- that that youth and young adults are really struggling with, because those stories are being told, but from an angle of deception. Mm. The topics that matter to youth and young adults, those who don't have their best interests in mind are talking about them, but they might be glorifying what youth and young adults are struggling with and which are in and of themselves sinful, immoral, will lead them to a downward spiral, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, interpersonally, within Mm. their family, within their friendships, within their circles. So those topics that are pop culturally trending, uh, let's say transgenderism, which is something I I hope to write on soon. Um, There's a book I'm reading to get more about it and learning from experts in the field. That's a huge thing. I have 10 nieces and nephews who are, you know, going back to school um, within this season and are, they have friends who go to, you know, Timothy came to class and he has pink nail polish. Why? Mm. Why can't I have it? My all those, so that that's those are types of transgenderism, yeah, gender dysphoria, low self-image. Because yeah. I believe many times, as Saint Teresa of Calcutta would say, the greatest poverty is to be you know unloved and uncared for. Mm. And in that same vein, Deacon Charlie, I believe that people are also not only do they feel unloved and uncared for, but they don't even love themselves. Yeah, made in God's image, like the average person. If we do a survey, how many people truly? love themselves with the love that God has for them, not a disordered self-love. So things relating to self-image, to self-love, mm. but in a healthy way, self-love always gets a bad rap. But I personally, I pray a litany of self-love every day. 
healthy mm. self-love because mm. I, I'm, I'm wounded. I'm, I'm, I'm still on the journey of healing. So self-image, self-love and what that looks like and sounds like and, and how that's lived out in a way that will make you super happy mm. and, and super and, and a friend of God. Mm. And additionally, so self-love, self-image, transgenderism, gender dysphoria, and everything in that 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 party, that that, that, that sphere, yeah. yes, that that mm. realm that is being talked about, but is being applauded and winning awards. Well, I think that that's you know sort of part and parcel to what the popular culture does, or maybe it's the enemy through the popular culture. I still haven't yes. decided which one that is, but is take you know, a, a virtue and distort it, right? Or explain a portion of it. Probably the easiest way to think about it is the, is the virtue of love, right? Of charity. And, you know, really explaining that around the sense of sentiment or emotionality or connection or sensuality, all of those things can be attributes and should be properly attributes of a full understanding of what what love actually is, but love also, you know, in its ultimate form connotes death to self and death on behalf of others. And that's the part that's sort of jettisoned from the conversation. And yet it, by doing so, you, you completely change what this idea is. And so you have a lot of young people who are naturally longing for, for love and for a deeper understanding of love being told in many ways, what love is recrafting love in a very different image and, and, and only providing a very, very watered down, diluted portion of, of that, you know, beautiful virtue that is the ultimate virtue. And, yes. and, and by virtue, you know, because of that, they're sort of led astray. Or another one is courage, right? Courage mm. is, is something that naturally is given to us by the Holy Spirit because it's one of those, one of those fruits and gifts that he has. And yes. yet in our kind of culture, courage is generally understood as, you know, maybe in the, in the sort of most common case, sort of standing up against something that feels oppressive because it prevents me from doing what I want. And so, so I think that what you're talking about, sort of recrafting and reinvigorating the fullness of these virtues with younger people naturally are looking for, but explaining them in the fullness of the light uh, yes. you know, is, is makes total sense. You're not creating something new. You're not saying, oh, True. let's learn about you know, some, uh, some ancient religious order as a way to kind of get you in. Let's, let's talk about some of these things that you're naturally attracted to, naturally interested in, and let's, let's help you understand the fullness of what that is. Yes. From in a rightly ordered way, the way it's actually meant to be understood. Mm. Do you, do you, um, from a, from a kind of a medium standpoint, like how to deliver those stories and those, those messages, is there a sort of unexplored medium or something that we maybe from a, from a Catholic or Christian perspective can do better, can do more of, can, can think of differently. I'm talking about maybe story and medium. Like what's your view of that whole dynamic? I believe that we should, something that perhaps hasn't been done more of as an, as an African, as an Nigerian American is doing more, finding people who have experienced you know, that um, finding people who have, who have faced those struggles, who have gone through those adversities, who have, mm. who have navigated them with God's grace and how they did that, where they are now, telling those stories. I think, I believe authentic stories of those who have gone through those struggles 
is much more powerful. Those stories are more powerful than teaching. Like people love witnesses. They don't really like teachers. Mm. There's a quote or something from, I can't recall which organization or, but people, people love witnesses. So finding those, identifying those individuals who have, who are witnesses and giving them a space and whether it's a show or a video or audio or written form, I believe utilizing every available platform and medium that exists. There's now the, you know, whatever metaverse or things are now virtual reality. We should utilize everything, augmented reality, virtual reality, IR, everything, so that we as Christ representatives are present around the earth and following the Great Commission. And that that's a big pivot, though, from a you know, Christian storytelling perspective in modern times. A lot of Christian storytelling or teaching or or sharing through media is very much about this sort of teaching approach, right? There's a there's a teacher who's got some wisdom, who's got some knowledge, and is talking to a room or an individual who is a pupil, who is a learner, who is at that moment saying, I'd like to be formed and learn. And that that's very good. However, yes. what you're describing is is kind of is a, is a big change to that, 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 that modality, which is more about let's tell stories from people who have a lived experience of things that, and some of them may not be good things. And let's, through the explaining of these, through the authenticity of those stories, people can be drawn into that. I think it sounds simple, but that's actually a very big change to what I see a lot of our approach has been from a Christian standpoint in the modern era. I think you see more Absolutely. of that in the ancient era, ironically enough. Yes. Yes, that is exactly right. It is a big change, but I believe it's a change that will yield great fruit mm. and the desired results. Because if you think of it, for my, I come from a family, parents who were teachers. My father was a retired professor, mother was an English teacher, and they perpetually complained about students who come unprepared for class most especially dozing off, heads on the desks, completely disconnected from what's being taught. But you find someone in the class who might be a jester or just someone who really grabs attention and does something that's not teaching, but they're still teaching through their behavior. Oh, yeah. Those people get attention. They're not teaching, but they're modeling something that's immoral and should not be done. But what can we learn from them? There, there's a, So essentially, not to say that teachers should no longer be, that's the very noble profession. It's absolutely necessary within a certain context. But that approach being fueled into digital media may not have a strong, as strong as uh, of an effect as having those who are, who have lived experience, as you, as you um, stated, having those mm. who are, are still teaching, but not teaching, if that makes sense. By the way, that's another example of um, what you talked about earlier about what young people want and telling some of those stories in the right way is young people, if you look at all the data, especially um, you know your generation, maybe millennial, uh, younger millennial, and certainly the generation beyond that, Generation Z, and I would presume Generation Alpha, which is the one that comes after that, they all statistically... Um, come in very, very high in the desire and need for authenticity, for genuineness. In other words, they're the generations that can typically spot that plastic smile that you talked about earlier a lot easier than, say, my generation could. 
or even the generation of the boomers, you know, beyond me. So it's particularly like it's a good example of what you were talking about earlier, which is like, let's give them some of what they want, because it also happens to be culturally what they respond to, at least in the U.S. Yes, absolutely right. Authenticity is huge. And even if if we look across social media platforms with those who are of the younger demographic, let's say TikTok or Instagram, mm. the those who, for a good reason or not so good reason, gain the most attention, whether through likes or comments or shares or remixes of their content, are those who are authentic, whether, again, for a good reason or not so good reason. Mm. So authenticity is huge. And that's what really differentiates an influencer from another and those who you know could be, but the authenticity has not really been ignited or switched on. How, how do you feel about that term, influencer? I mean, some people might look at you and say you're an influencer. Does that, and I just how, how does that hit you? Social media is not the real world, is mm. what someone told me that yesterday at a baseball game. And I said, listen, social media, it's just not the real world. You don't see the life event that may have preceded or followed yeah. when I recorded that 59 second video. You neither know, you just don't know the full picture, the full story, the person, if they burst into tears when they finished recording or they're self-harming or they're addicted to something or they're really depressed, you don't know. And so do influencers exist? Yes, but I believe everyone influences someone else in a particular way. And this reminds me of a book that I have been reading on, um, it's essentially, it's for, it's for, it's for young boys, but it's essentially a young man's guide to excellence. I believe it's the name of the book. I'm probably, probably omitting a word or two by mistake, but in that book, it states how those who, you know, a, a man's main purpose in life or, you know, a young man's main purpose is to be up to be where he's meant to be and to provide the most usefulness. Mm. And, and so being an influencer, and then the book also details how a different at even a young man who is four years old or five or seven years old is an influencer in in a different way than one who's a businessman or a father or an executive. So everyone is an influencer. They just might not have identified who, who is in their environment that is watching them, that they spend time with that they serve in some minute way, but mm. still noteworthy. Mm. And their very presence and silence and inability to utter any words can still give a good impression and impact someone positively. So I believe everyone actually is an influencer. Even the unborn baby in the mother's womb is an influencer because you know that baby gives the mother such joy mm. when the mother feels a kick or the husband puts his hand on the, on the stomach and feels a, you know, the, everyone is an influencer. Uh, digitally speaking, do influencers exist? Sure, why not? Yeah, the um, the world of social media is a world with a ton of content, but absent of context, mm -hmm. and that's why um, all of the part that's bought the the lead up and the aftermath is sort of is invisible, right? So all you see is yes. the is the content piece, and that uh, that certainly doesn't help in in terms of driving. Uh, community or relationships. The other thing about everybody being an influencer is very, very, very much true. In today's uh, morning prayer for Liturgy of the Hours, I don't know if, if, you, if you prayed morning prayer this morning, but I'm yes. going to forget the the citation. It's St. Paul, but I forget which which uh, which book it's from. But 
you know, he talks about the fact that, you know, the person who, uh, you know, the person who is to speak, you know, should speak, right, for the glory of God. The person who mm-hmm. teaches should teach, that everybody has this this role and this function. And within that, it's understood if you're a teacher, a speaker, whatever you are, there is some some level of influence. The, the, the question of life is discovering the sphere of influence that the Lord has given you. And it, yes. that sphere may be very large or it may be very small, but ultimately you're the one who fits that bill of influence at that particular you know, moment, if you properly understand it. That's very true. That's absolutely right. If they properly understand Bucci, it. If they properly understand it, and that's the journey of life, my friend. Absolutely. I'm still, I'm still trying to correctly understand a lot of things, you know, but God is, if nothing, patient it. with me. That's his, uh, that is, uh, that's one thing that's very clear. When, when, uh, when I get a chance to meet the Lord face to face, I think the, his patience is the first thing that I'll, <laughs> that I'll see, at least <laughs> if my life is any indication. Um, but before, before we get to our, our final segment here, wait, what Bucci, I wanted to, you know, give you a chance. We've talked in general about a number of different things, but I know that you're, you know, excited about so many things and doing so many things and, you know, writing all over the place and creating content for EWTN and for others. And, you know, just to share a little bit about, you know, how folks can keep tabs of your work, but also maybe some things that you're particularly excited about that are coming up. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. Like where they can find me. Is that the question? Where they can find me online? Where they can find me and things that you're excited about. I mean, like, you know, what's going on in your life coming up? Yes. So other than my work, which if my name, Bucci, last name is Akpati, A like Alpha, K like King, P like Papa, A like Alpha, T like Tango, I like India, Bucci Akpati. If you just search me on Google, um, I, I write for different news agencies in addition to many other things. Uh, my writings can be found, for instance, on Church Pop or Catholic News Agency, National Catholic Register, Catholic News Agency, all of which are under EWTN News, uh, for which I serve as digital media manager. So those news agencies, my writings might show up. And so if you type in Church Pop, Bucci, Akpati, it should it should show there. And personally, outside of work, I have a variety of interests all of which I'm trying to encapsulate within my own so personal social media account. And so I have a social media apostolate by the name of O Maria Media. And mm. so that's O apostrophe, Mary's name, Maria Media. So O Maria Media, one word on Instagram. That's my main platform of choice. And on there, my hope after the last three years of uh, physical absence from it is to share the things that I love. I love sacred music, which I sing. Mm. I love sacred art. I'm learning to uh, paint slash write icons. I love to evangelize. So I have a lot of, I once had a podcast, which over like 3000 episodes of just catechetical content, reading the mass readings each day and giving a brief reflection on the mass readings. I'm now doing that something different, still catechetical related to our lady, related to the rosary, Marian devotion, how to live a life of virtue, chaste dating things for men and women. So in a nutshell, O Maria Media is where you will be able to find me this later parts of, of 2023 with sacred art, sacred music, storytelling, uh, in a, with a goal to just win our Lord many friends. Mm. And so I would say, and many, I have other interests, financial management, um, just different things, you know, cooking, baking, just culinary arts. I likely wouldn't yet infuse the financial management or culinary arts yet. I just wish to do more of the sacred art and music and storytelling mm. as, of, as of 2023. 
And when, whenever our Lord wills for me to include more of my interests, I'm sure he'll knock at the door of my heart and by his grace, I will let him in. Amen. We have to add a few things to the show notes then for this episode because I left out singer, sacred artist, polyglot, which I forgot to, to mention that ah. you speak a number of languages. Um, just a couple. Just a just, couple. No, stop. You, well, you speak in, in Nigeria, obviously you've got English, but you've got Niger- the, lo- the local Ibo. languages as well. Yes. Ibo, right? Ibo, that's true. And yes. then you're also fluent in Spanish. That's three at least that I know of, Bucci. Almost Who knows? fluent. Yes. A little oh, bit stop. of Latin. Not that many. It's like a couple. A little bit of Latin. Yeah. Okay. Oh. That, look, most people struggle with just English. Okay. So take it easy. Take it easy on the rest of us. And of course, kickboxer, which we haven't talked about I at all, but that's, but that's for the next episode, Booching. You will be that back and you will like be here plan. in Los Angeles. We're going to do Let's that do one it. in person. Okay. I, am, I, I can dig it. Let's do that. Beautiful. What a great privilege to have you on this show, Bucci. Um, it's so great to meet you, to uh, learn about your story to um, be part of amplifying and sharing uh, what the Lord has done in your life with others who can draw their own inspiration, particularly that idea of the wounded healer. Because I think, again, is a modality that is very expressible and understandable in our day and age. That is another one that I think the Lord is calling and, and has always called, but I think in a particular way. Uh, calling wounded healers to be out in the world and um, and sharing, you know, what they've gone through uh, for the benefit of the children of God. So it's a great privilege to have had you on. Thank you so much for being a part be of this. You. And now, Bucci, are you ready to play? Uh oh. Wait, what? Uh oh. <laughs> okay, bracing myself. All right. Drink so my water. Drink your water. Exactly. Okay. Go do What's some. What's coming? Flex, flex. All right, so here, so here we go. Question number one. I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot, I okay. think. I don't know. Because this first question is a Nigerian question, uh-huh. Nigerian tri- trivia question, and I'm not oh actually goodness. sure how obscure this question may be. It may be very easy to answer or it may be very hard. I have no idea. So to make it easier for you, just in case, I'm going to make it a true or false question. So you have a 50-50 chance. You got a 50-50 chance. So here goes. Question number one, Bucci, true or false? The Nok civilization, N-O-K, who lived in 1500 BC in what is now central Nigeria, were the first sub-Saharan people to make and use iron tools and create intricate life-size terracotta statues. So is that a true or false question that the Nok people who lived Hmm. in 1500 BC in Nigeria were the first sub-Saharan people to use iron tools and do other things? Is that true or false? I'm gonna say false. Sadly, it is true. It is true. Yes, it is true. Uh I I learned all about it, that the discoveries were actually made in the in the late 1920s by archaeologists about this great civilization that they named NOK, lived uh, in, in central, what is now central Nigeria. Amazing. And, um, and yeah, I mean, iron work and use of iron metallurgy emerged in sub-Saharan Africa in a number of different cultures, but they were the first, at least at least what archaeologists think today within that part of the continent. So there you go. Fascinating. All right, so you got a chance to rebound here. Question I'm number two. Recover. Yes, you're, let's you're do going this. to. Let's go to the Carmelites for our next okay. question. Okay. Okay. Obviously, you have some experience here, so this, this, <laughs> let's, this I hope this is going to shows for it. This is going to be the rebound question. So we just celebrated the solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, just yes. uh, you know, a number of days ago. A beautiful feast that marks the occasion of the Blessed Mother being taken, body and soul, into heaven. But 
We sometimes forget that she was not the only person to ever have this honor. In fact, this Old Testament personage who figures very prominently in Carmelite spirituality oh, was yeah. also assumed into heaven. Bucci, who was he or it is he? It was the prophet Elijah who we fondly call Father Saint Elias. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. Oh. That's right. <laughs> The, the, the connection between the prophet Elijah and the Carmelites, a lot of people don't know about, or they, they don't know how it, there's sort of no official founder in a way of the Carmelite order. And yet Elijah yes. figures very prominently in that. That is true. Exactly right. All right. Question number three, Bucci. Doing great. Doing great. Now we'll see if we can take this into the, into the plus territory with the last yes. question. Okay. Question number three to bring us home. I know, even though we didn't talk about it, that you are a kickboxing aficionado. Okay. Among... A number of other things, as you've illustrated for us. So please fill in the blank uh -oh. to this question. Kickboxing, okay. kickboxing in its current form, originated in Japan in the late 1950s. It was created by a boxing promoter, a promoter named Osamu Noguchi, and it is a hybrid martial art that combines karate with blank to create what we know now as this modern kickboxing. I can give you some hints if you want, but it, but kickboxing as we know today is the combination of classical karate with this other martial art, and that brought together is what gives us the modern version of kickboxing today. Taekwondo. Close. Uh, you want to take, you want to take another? You want to take another guess? No, no, it's it's Muay Thai. It's the Thai kickboxing style. In fact, there there was a, I guess back in those days in the 50s and 60s, there was a competition in Japan where karate practitioners, um, um, you know, had a competition against Muay Thai practitioners. Somebody was very inspired by that combination and so started training both of hmm. those styles together, which gave us the kind of modern day. Um, say mixed martial arts, but I don't know if that's an official. Yeah. No, it's Muay it's Thai. Not. It's Muay Thai. It's mu oh, that's the answer. <laughs> that's the answer. Muay Thai. Yeah, Muay Thai. Yeah. Man, um, I, I should get my kickboxing license revoked. What is what what is it about kickboxing that you like so much? The fact that it's total body, mm. that I can break a sweat within three minutes, and that it's so effective at decreasing my stress level without much time being invested. And yeah. so I can do micro I love doing micro workouts morning and night kickboxing how do you feel about combat in general though because you know obviously kickboxing muay thai these are all combat sports in many in many respects yeah do you how, how do you view combat sports mixed martial arts jujitsu things like that how do you view them in their in in the fullness of their practice i'm not talking about training but like correct in combat sports in general they can be dangerous they can hurt others for those reasons those are some reasons why I may not be fond of it being as a combat sport with another person who was like, right. Another kickboxer. Yeah. Another kickboxer. <laughs> but if it's just me, um, then it's much safer. I, I feel that for the, for the effect it has on the kickboxer, it's effective as, you know, mm. cardiovascular. If one for has a goal sure. of fat, lo fat loss, sure. I'm sure it also, but just the card, just the effects it has. I, I love it for that purpose. But when it then inflicts, pain or hurt then it goes to another end of the spectrum yeah but i love it i think it's it's just total i love things that are like all encompassing like just total like swimming kickboxing 
kind yeah. of like brother and sister or cousins they're, they're, at least. The, some of the best uh, mixed martial art uh, fighters, athletes uh, today have kickboxing backgrounds. Interesting. Uh, uh, Israel Adesanya is one of them. Uh, John Jones, very famously. A lot of these guys uh, have deep, deep skill in kickboxing. It is a, you know, obviously it's for all the reasons you've mentioned, it's an incredible way to exercise and draw fitness from it. But it's also a very effective combat sport. So uh, it, it's interesting to see. Well, we'll add that to the docket of things to get into uh, next time, Bucci. But again, like a plan. God bless you. Your work, your ministry, your apostolate, your content, your stories, all of that stuff. May the Holy Spirit continue to prosper all of those things in you. And uh, thanks again for coming by. Amen. Thank you. This has been a great blessing, Deacon Charlie. And we got to do this again. We're going to set a date down and I fly out and we record. That's uh, and we guaranteed. continue to help others to continue living the call. Guaranteed. And if you're listening to Bucci and my voice, that means it's time for you to follow this show, to share this episode, maybe with somebody who can benefit from hearing about this wounded healer dynamic, this idea of being small, this idea of looking for things in un, uh, unexpected places and drawing some solace from them. Um, lots to share in this episode. We'll be privileged to see you guys again on Living the Call. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.